The following is brought to you by the Leave It in the Ring Podcast Network. All boxing, no filter. Greetings and welcome to the Boxing Esquire Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Boxing Esquire podcast presented by The Ring and RingTV.com and distributed by the Leave It In The Ring Network. My guest on this episode is one of the more thoughtful uh, boxing writers in the business, I'd say, uh, Bryn Jonathan Butler. Um, We got a chance to talk about what's gone on in the sport in the last few weeks, Um, the good, the bad, the... uh, not so good, the the tragic, um, and we also uh, fit a uh, small uh, movie review in at the end about uh, we both happened to see uh, Tarantino's latest. So um, great conversation. We covered a lot of ground um, about uh, you know the last Pacquiao fight and and kind of what's what's going on in the sport that's good and and not so good. So hope you enjoy. All right, it's my pleasure to uh, bring back our returning champion here, the uh, British Columbia bomber, uh, acclaimed author and boxing writer, Bryn Jonathan Butler. Welcome back to the Boxing Esquire podcast. Thank you for having me, Kirk. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the last few weeks uh, in the sport have uh, have been very, uh, I don't know, just compelling and, and, and just a lot going on. Um, you know, kind of. There's been the good, there's been the bad, and there's been the the really tragic and and ugly. Um, just uh, wanted to go through uh, a few of those moments with you, and I guess I'll let you pick <laughs> which uh, which category uh, you want to talk about first: the good, the bad, or, or or the ugly. Let's get the ugly out of the way. Yeah, which I think people will know where we're headed with this. Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, you know, our sport is 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 one of the most dangerous uh, that you can take part in. There's much easier ways to make a living. Um, you know, these guys take tremendous risks, and and for that, they have the huge audience that they have, and and we love the sport. But um, you know, two fighters died in the ring in the past week. Uh, Maxim uh, Dadashev. Um, died from injuries. Uh, he, he was fighting in an IBF title eliminator, I believe, with a sub-DL Matthias. Um, Matthias, um, relatively competitive fight. Um, yeah. You know, going in, I, I mean, I was really looking forward to it. You had two undefeated guys, two guys considered probably two of the best prospects at the weight. Couldn't wait. I was, oh, this is going to be a great fight. Yeah. I, I'll be honest, I, I missed the early rounds. I kind of picked it up around, around seven or eight. And uh, it was still a very competitive fight. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Dadashev landed a big shot in the ninth round and looked like he might pull it out. And then, you know, then he started to really wear down. And you could see in the last round that he was he was ready to go. Yeah. Um, and I thought Buddy did a great job pulling him out, but unfortunately not in time. They did everything they could. But, I mean, this is the big risk that I think people outside of boxing don't really get is just the cumulative damage that's in, incurred uh you know and when is a headache a response to a blood clot right you know to something more than just a, a swelling that that is going to be treatable um we just don't know until, right. <laughs> until we really get the you know when do these guys need to be in immediate care uh, what do they have to do they don't even and these are people also where they get criticized if they quit right right they get criticized right. as not not having balls and that sort of thing so 
This is a this is a very touchy subject. A lot of people don't realize that in the 20th century, over a thousand people have been killed mm. involved with boxing, sparring, training, right. fighting. First time Americans ever watched somebody get killed was watching Emil Griffith beat a man to death, mm. well, beat him into injuries that eventually led to Benny Peret's death. Right. So uh, yeah, America has really used boxing as as a means of exploring a very dark issue. Yeah, for sure, for sure. You know, really, really tragic up and coming fighter, you know, only 28, you know, left a wife and, and a kid and highly regarded prospect, you know, bright future ahead of him. You know, just it, it takes the air out of you to see that. And I know Buddy very well, and I'm sure he's just absolutely sick about it. Um, you know, condolences to, uh, to Dadashev's family. Um, uh, unfortunately, a few days later, there was, you know, yet another fatality in the sport. Um, Hugo, uh, Santillan, uh, he fought, uh, Eduardo Abreu as it turned out to a draw. It went, it went the distance and, um, he collapsed in the ring as the decision was being read. Um, I guess it was reported he had, uh, blood clots on the brain and the swelling in his brain affected his other organs and he yeah. actually died of a heart attack, yeah. um, while they were trying to revive him. Um, this one was like particularly like heart wrenching when you watch the video of his father and trainer trying to hold him up and kissing him and all this while the verdict is being read and the guy's about to collapse. Grotesque. Yeah, it was, it was grotesque, you know, I mean, it it was poignant and, you know, grotesque and just scary and just hard to watch. Um, yeah, that one that one is 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 complicated even further. I mean, I, I'm not you know, listen, I don't have all the facts on this. This is just one of those things that you know, you look on Twitter, someone reports something. I tried to look it up on BoxRec uh, briefly, but Michael Montero, uh, reporter, is reporting that uh, Santillan or Sant. I'm not. I'm sure I'm butchering the pronunciation. It's a hard one. <laughs> yeah. Santillan um, was suspended. In Germany, he had just fought like barely over a month before mm-hmm. and gone the distance with a German prospect, 10 rounds, um, was beaten, you know, didn't win a round on any of the cards and had been suspended until the end of July. So he actually was fighting while under suspension uh, in Germany mm-hmm. in, in, I guess it was Argentina. So yeah. maybe some hell to pay for the uh, for the local commission. But, you know, when you've got your father in your corner and making fights, I mean, I don't know, it complicates uh complicates that but that one that one was tough that was tough to watch yeah i mean that and that first fight we talked about with that that tragic death i mean he was vomiting in the ring right shortly after the conclusion and uh right right you know a head injury leading very in quick succession to vomiting is is a, a massive alarm right right i mean he, yeah. i mean you had the 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 mago case here where right he was okay. He actually passed neurological tests after he'd gotten into the locker room and then started vomiting on his way out of the arena. Yeah, the fact that when I heard that he was vomiting, I was like, wow, uh-oh. I mean, he's he's in trouble. Yep. He's in trouble. Uh, yeah, just just really tragic. Really, really tragic. And, uh, you know, anytime this happens in the sport, it's it's hard and, and you know, the everyone has to kind of look inward. But, you know, you look at other other dangerous sports – like, you know, NASCAR, you know, with Dale Earnhardt, superstar in the sport, died in, in 2001. I mean, you had, you know, just any number of uh, safety measures that came 
out of that. You know, they had mm-hmm. the, the Hans device that kind of harness that it kind of saves the, sure. the whipping of the neck. They had full face helmets, better barriers. I mean, they, they did something in NASCAR. I mean, even in the NFL now, they're trying to prevent helmet to helmet contact, yeah. you know, for all the head injuries that are happening. I mean, and it's a different game. Yeah, exactly. You watch it. It's quite a different. I'm not saying it's not dangerous, but it's right. very different than what we were watching ten years ago. Oh yes, but or the seventies even. Yeah, it's like primitive when you watch the head slaps and all that that went on. Uh, Absolutely that okay. Well, and and it also interesting was that with that first death was it wasn't your typical. It wasn't like watching Mike Perez beat a guy where I remember watching that fight here in New York, and right. by the fourth or fifth round. I was really upset watching right. it saying that, like, you're pushing this beyond – there's nothing competitive going on in this fight. Right. And this guy is getting hurt. I mean, again, it's heavyweights. So it's a little different with the lower weight classes because they don't have that concussive power that the big guys do, which, again, paradoxically for outsiders looking in, think it's a little safer if you're fighting a guy who can't beat your head in the way right. these big guys can. Right. But it, I think more often than not, and I haven't looked at the data, but I think anecdotally from people I've spoken with – the lighter weight classes are more responsible for deaths than the heavyweights. Right, just more accumulate, just more shots. More shots. <clears throat> the brain is not designed to be bashed around. Right. And these guys are throwing more, they're landing more, and it's taking more before they go down. They 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 can recover, unfortunately. Right. To endure further punishment. Right, right, right. right. So uh, it was unusual watching that fight in that you didn't see the kind of telltale signs that we're used to with people that are going to be badly damaged. Um, you know, Buddy McGirt did everything right in stopping that fight. Absolutely. When he stopped as it. soon as you saw that you know, his kid was slowing down and really getting hit, yep. he was just like, "No, uh, no more." No you more. Know? And I, I thought he, I thought he had done the re, did the right thing, did everything he could. Yeah, but we just can't see into what's going on in a brain, right? Responding to trauma. That's it. You know, and there's no normative brain in terms of like we can go by to understand what damage is going to what what damage is going to be created from a fight well that's you know it, it's interesting cuz um you know Chris Mannix did a great podcast uh, and I highly encourage people to listen to it where he had both uh, Bob Arum and Eddie Hearn talking about this you know mm-hmm. when it you know it was maybe in the past week you know mm-hmm. with with the news still fresh and uh, and Bob was saying that, you know, listen, you know, what what can we do? I mean, some commissions have, they allow for, well, some don't even require like MRIs or he's like, but we need more brain testing. He's like, some of them allow, you know, tests are like five years old or okay. Yeah. I mean, you need more brain tests, but I don't even know, do we even have the technology? I, mean, I know you can't. You can't uh, until you've removed the brain and like looked at like CTE in football players or boxers. You can't diagnose it. We don't no. have the technology that that tracks the the brain tissue that closely. Not we yet. haven't we haven't figured it out. Um, so I mean, and another perspective too was um, I thought you know and again I saw this maybe uh, quoted in an article I, I I forget where but it was Dr. Goodman Dr. Margaret Goodman. Um, saying that she thinks with these brain injuries that um, they're shearing before these guys get into the actual fight. She's mm-hmm. convinced that it happens in training mm-hmm. and that when these guys get into the actual fight, they're just there's already been some sort of shearing or, or wearing away or even just bursting of a blood vessel. Sure. And it just gets completely exacerbated during the fight when you have full contact, no headgear, no, you know, 
Yeah. Um, Some have argued headgear actually leads to more damage. Right. Bigger target. Uh, They say the same thing with football. Putting on a helmet can do more damage than if they're wearing those leather helmets because you go into tackles differently. Right. Absolutely. You're using your head as a weapon because you know it's, it's, you know, uh, protected. Yeah. And, I mean, that football analogy that came out when they were sort of studying the effects of CTE, I think there was a PBS documentary on it, um, League of Denial, I believe it was, Made the, made the argument that the average NFL player is enduring the amount of head trauma as you or I being strapped into a car, running into a brick wall at 40 miles an hour, mm. something like 30 times a season Ugh, in wow. training and, and playing. Right. And you just imagine, you know, as we do with accidents, getting into some sort of concussive ordeal, how many of, of these is the average person experiencing? A few. Right, right, right. But the idea of 20 or 30 per year, right. and it's not just in the NFL. I mean, when the brain is developing and these, these people are going through the rigors of high school football, peewee football, sure. college football. I mean, just like with boxing. Just like with boxing, yeah, absolutely. You know, Ali started at 12, so how many rounds of sparring do we expect that he – participated in absolutely five thousand ten thousand and training can be grueling yeah I sure mean, you're, you're you're you know you don't just get in there and and, and tickle each other as uh as you know uh, hatton would say you know it's not a tickling contest i mean you get in no. there to practice a fight and, and, and you're swinging hard and you're getting hit and and look at champion sparring partners their sparring partners are guys who go on to become champions and they're trying to prove something in sparring mm-hmm. ali had larry holmes beating the shit out of him right tyson had oliver mccall uh, you know, some tough guys. So, uh, yeah, the sparring that goes into these fights for what, 200, 300 rounds of sparring for every fight. And then you see a career that has 40, 50, 60 fights, right. You know, 200 amateur fights. How much sparring is going into that right. amateur career? It's, it's a lot to ask of the brain. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, it, it, it's funny, you know, uh, Sergio Mora also put up a, a tweet where he's like, listen, as fighters, we know what we're getting into. It's like, it's, we're not naive. He's like, you know, and, and we we're willing to take that risks, you know, and, and, and make that sacrifice. He's like, our families, not so much, though. You know, it, it's 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 hard. You know, it's hard. It's hard for people on the outside. What do you say, you know, when when, yeah. when these ring deaths happen? Um, you know, and, and, and what can be done in the future? Again, it's like, A, because you don't have an organized body, you're not going to have uniformity no matter what. Um, you know, does that discourage, you know, major promotions from taking fights outside of the, the major commissions like New York and California and Nevada, where they know there's going to be real testing involved and, yeah. and competent, you know, and Eddie Hearn brought up the fact that in the UK, there's oxygen at ringside for every fight. Yeah. Because they have a uniform commission, he's like in the states, you know, the, there are some commissions that, that they don't have it. They don't they don't have oxygen, and you can't just show up with your own paramedic. Right. You know, it's it's regulated by the state. You know, they're not going to let you bring your paramedic with with the oxygen. That's know? a big that's a big point too. Because I was listening to Joe Namath talk about this that the impact of football on his brain was something that he had diagnosed through extensive MRIs mm. and he used oxygen to treat it and apparently has made a tremendous recovery oh, wow. using okay. oxygen therapy. And yeah, I mean, as you say, if we just had some sort of governing organization to look after just this basic safety net for, right. f- for fighters welfare, 
setting aside that they have no health care coverage. You know? <laughs> right. I know. We There's a long list of things Pension, we could go through. Yes. You know. yes. So, what's lacking because there's no uh, there's no uniformity and, and centralized uh, and, and what, and what, structure. Yeah. And so, like, what is what is the mechanism that's in place to sort of for boxing to address it? Probably it's litigation. Probably it's going to be more yeah. lawsuits yeah. before they're just going to do a cost analysis where – you know, more people are going to, we just had two in a week. Right. You know, and what is boxing doing, as you're saying, to try to address this, to make it safer? Well, why do they have to be concerned with it unless right. there's some hazard? Yeah, I mean, and it's like, okay, you know, are there, I suppose there are there are things you could do. But, like, with football, I mean, you can't, like, eliminate headshots. I mean, you could. You could you could turn boxing into just body shotting, you know. Right. Um, you know, I think you'd probably lose most of the fans, you know, but it would certainly make it safer. Well, know? they they have done it. It's called tennis. <laughs> right. There <laughs> it's, you go. It there is, you go. It's why you know I love watching tennis because it, it's boxing just with a little more distance between them. <laughs> but it's very similar. And you know, people will always make the comparison with MMA too. You just sure. don't have the ring fatalities in, in MMA because, well, a um, there are more than one way than just hitting someone in the head to to stop the fight. Um, you know, shorter rounds, smaller gloves. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are realistic options potentially. I mean, commissions already allow these gloves for for UFC fights. They're even allowing bare knuckle in some. You know, maybe, maybe that's a better way. You know, you don't have. You know, if you don't protect the hand, you know, it's it's you're not going to make as much content. I mean, look at Malinacci lost yeah, right. to a MMA fighter with a losing record at his last fight because right. he he just broke his hand. He couldn't punch. I just think, though, that boxing is an extension. It's always been a, a working-class sport, as Mike Lee demonstrated. Um, <laughs> but it's a working-class sport where those of us that come from those backgrounds, which you and I both do, um, I have a death in my family. My uncle was killed by a tree that fell on his head because my grandfather was a logger, and my uncle mm. wanted to become a logger, and, and he was killed in front of my grandfather. Wow. And wow. logging is one of the most dangerous industries that exist sure. for the people who do it and you look at a lot of blue collar jobs if you aren't killed on the job which is rare but it happens um you're giving away your body right. you know by signing up what you're giving up that by 40 or 45 my dad used to always say where i grew up you can tell where it gets poor because people stop being able to walk properly mm. they're limping they need aid in order to just walk because the work that they do takes away their body mm. and boxing falls in line with that perfectly because every time these guys are fighting, they're a little less after they've fought. Even right. when they win. They've taken shots. Oh, absolutely. And all that. Absolutely. And you see it when you meet them. You, we watch these documentaries to be nostalgic about great moments. And very often these guys need subtitles even though they're speaking our language. Right. They get the thick tongue. They yeah. get the thick tongue. And we see it. Right. I remember as a little kid, the first time I saw some of these great fighters come to a place that they don't go to often, Vancouver. They needed the money. Joe Frazier came out to Vancouver. I couldn't understand a word he was saying. Mm, mm, mm. You know, and he's this amazing, incredible guy. That I can't believe he's come all this way. Right, right. But he's broke. Right. And I can't understand what he's saying. And he's only, you know, at that time, I think he was 55, 60 years wow. old. And it yeah. was just, oh, and then you watch Facing Ali, and over half the guys who fought him in the documentary need subtitles. Right, right, so, right. I think the bigger question is, Is are we okay with it as fans in terms of voting with our money? And are they okay as willing participants volunteering to do a, a job that nobody has a gun to their head to do it right. where they understand these risks? And I appreciate 
what Mora is saying by by recognizing that the courage and bravery it takes to step in there. But I haven't met too many smokers who didn't acknowledge that smoking leads to cancer. <laughs> and yet when they get diagnosed with cancer, it's there's a kind of shock. Right, right. Yeah. That, I think that you, you kind of blissfully uh, ignore. It's not going to be things. me. Yeah. It's not going to be me. <laughs> right, 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 right. Everybody's a winner when you walk into the casino. But this is a casino with far worse odds than a casino proper. Yeah. You know, yeah, these yeah. guys pretty much know that the rule is that these guys have unhappy endings and it's tough, but they have tremendous moments that yeah. I, I think offsets it. But to the, to the point that Mora made about the family's not really enjoying signing on. Right, right, <laughs> um, right. You know, for the cleanup, uh, I've never met a family of fighters that weren't very uncomfortable discussing the, the cost right. of when it goes downhill, which it has to. Yeah, yeah, these absolutely. Are, this is a, a, a fleeting moment of greatness that some of these guys are lucky enough and work hard enough to enjoy. But for almost everybody else, it's uh, it's a lot of punishment they're signing up for. Yeah, you you pay a price. I remember talking to uh, Al Heyman about it actually, because his brother, you know, yes. was, was a fighter who who went through the ringer, you know, as as a prospect and then as an opponent, you know. Um, and yeah, I was just like, listen, there there's a price to pay in this sport. You know, they all pay it. Yeah. You know, and uh, you know it's coming. You know, it's 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 uh, it's a tough part of the sport. It's a tough part of the sport, and, and you know, realistically making it safer. I, I, I'm, you know, we're it. it we, changes don't happen like happen in other sports here. You know, I mean, there was one other one other writer, uh, Jose Corpus, had, had said made a suggestion about a, a punch count, maybe. Hmm. But even that, I mean, I'm not sure that that's that that you know. I mean, it's you know, guys have gotten hurt fighting just two, three rounds in fights, you know, let alone, you know, the, these fights went, you know, close to 10 rounds. I mean, that was something also, I guess, Herb, Herb Goldman said that in his prediction for the future of the sport, he could see like just fewer and fewer rounds of fighting. He's like, you know, championship fights used to be hundreds of rounds mm-hmm. until someone collapsed. He's like now, you know, you know, you see it getting shorter and shorter, went from 15 to 12. He's like, I could see title fights going to 10 and eight rounds. Yeah. And, Maybe that is a solution. I don't know. Maybe. I just don't know that these guys, you know, if you gave them the alternative of what the next job would be if they weren't fighters, I can't see 1% of them saying, yeah, I'd rather do that. <laughs> it's true. It's I just true. can't. I just, I've never met it. I'm not, I'm not, I haven't done a, <laughs> I've done an independent study of like <laughs> right. the fighters I've spoken to, but these guys are so driven to be who they are. And this risk is, is their identity. Absolutely. Taking this on. You know, there's there's a reason when they get into that ring, the other athletes look on with with a kind of uh, awe of just that they're not accepting the same risks to do what they do that fighters are. Sure. And you can see it. You know, Michael Jordan going to Mike Tyson Spinks, like he's just a guy in the crowd who dunks basketballs or right. makes, makes beautiful shots with pressure. Right. But with this, it's it's life or death all the time. And they pride themselves on it as, right. as much as, you know, it's a terror to their families and the people who love them. But I don't, yeah, I don't know how you remove the, the bathwater, you know, from, or the baby, you know, right. it's, it's just, uh, it's just so inextricably mixed that this is uh, an existential game as it were. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, you know, condolences to the families of, uh, of, of Maxim uh, Dadashev and uh, Hugo Santalon and uh, mm-hmm. 
you know, we'll forever ponder this one, uh, you know, until uh, until we can get. I mean, to me, the thing that made the most sense was what Aram had to say. And but again, it's, you know, the, the technology really has to, to catch up with the crisis. I mean, you know, uh, and even then, I mean, I, you know, are we going to do it between rounds? I mean, it, it's <laughs> to, to really do it right. You know, yeah. you, you'd have to have just unbelievable technology. I, I think we're like years and years and years away from that. Well, and it seems like it's that joke, that parable about like, what is it like? Why do they sanitize the needle before a lethal injection? <laughs> right, right. Good, good point. Good you point. know, we're here for the violence. We're here for the risk. Why? I mean, I don't watch NASCAR, but I've watched. I one of my favorite. It's primal. Yeah, it's it's uh, like, like death. Like it's, like like Max Kellerman says. You know, you have Babe Ruth on one corner. You have Michael Jordan on another corner. You know, you have Tyson and Ali on. You know, what are you going to go watch? You're going to go watch the violent, you know, dangerous wants, stuff. We yeah. want stakes, right? Right. You know, stakes are so high. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's one thing. It's one thing if you're an actor playing a spy and you you fuck up the dramatic scene in order to cross the border or whatever. If you're a spy doing in real life, you fuck up your dead. Right. And that's what fighters live. You know, Rocky gets take two, take three. Right. right. All these guys, but would they, what would they look like doing it? Right. You know, they don't know because they either they don't have to know, but or they don't want to know. Fighters do. You know, fight, fighters have lived those moments that other people have to recreate. And, I mean, that's their reward in a, in a way, but there's a big price for it. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you can see it. Like when you spend time with them and they, they let you behind the curtain a little bit into their private life, you know, they've, they've seen some stuff that, that just other people don't have to live with because they don't have to. Right, right. It's it's you're living literally on the edge. You know, it's yep. it's it's you know, it, it's a high wire act. It's a high wire act. That's it. It's a high. Other people can walk the wire a foot over the ground, and then you know, the, there's similar dynamics. I think it's why writers are so drawn to fighters. Is we think, oh my god, writing a whole novel. How I can't do it on this subject. I'm not equipped. I'm not capable. And and somehow sometimes we're able to surmount that. And we identify with the struggle that fighters have, but it's it's just not the same. You know, watch Norman Mailer fighting Jose right. Torres or Torres or whatever. It's not him on the page. It's right, just a right. fat little short man stumbling <laughs> around. You right, know, right. Where Torres is taking it easy on him. You know, so it's it's a funny it's a funny thing. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so that was. Uh, that was kind of the real hard part of the week uh, for the sport, for, for everyone involved. Um, I guess, uh, what else? Uh, let's see. We got we had a very good part of it and a kind of bad part as well, mm-hmm. which uh, what you want to get to. I guess Mr. Pacquiao must be part of the good part. <laughs> yes, Mr. Pacquiao is definitely part of the good part. So, um, yeah, let's, uh, you know, let's, let's talk about that. I mean, it, it happened, you know, I guess I... You and I watched it together. We haven't really, uh, you know, discussed it though. I mean, it's amazing effort. You know, uh, it's kind of like you know, everyone was really intrigued. You know, you, as you looked at their recent form, you're thinking this could be a close fight. Pacquiao's got a real shot in this. Yeah. And then you know, you're watching the first round, and and, and Thurman's <clears throat> winning it, and he's looking, you know, like the like the younger, bigger, stronger guy. And then. Pacquiao puts him on his ass, and it's like, wow, Pacquiao very well will win this fight. Yeah, you know? 
And then there were some back and forth yeah. that that made you question whether it was going to go that way. The script right. kept changing. Yes, yes. Credit um, to Keith Thurman. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, Thurman, huge respect for him. I think I don't think the wheels have fallen off with this performance, but he doesn't seem to be the same fighter he was at his peak, but still very strong, very aggressive, extraordinarily competitive, smart, some real interesting plan B's and C's that he was coming up with to deal with a Pacquiao who is in such surprising form. Right. And then all the rumors come out is how is Pacquiao in such good form? (laughs) We, you know, the drug testing, is it up to snuff, you know, in order to like, how are these guys getting better? At 40, how are we seeing such a stark improvement from some of the other performances we've seen with him in the past? I guess right. Horn would be the prime example. Right, right, right. You know, this shouldn't be able to happen against the guy 10 years younger who's an elite champion. Right. Um, so is Pacquiao capable of it or is it sort of a, a Sammy Sosa, Maguire, you know. <laughs> Phenomenon. Yeah, yes. going after Maris. Like, how are they doing it? Um, and I don't know. I mean – I just thought it was an extraordinary performance. It's unbelievable he's 40 and able to do it. Um, Some really thrilling moments in there. I mean, that first knockdown, I thought the footage was appallingly bad and that it it looked like he stepped on his toe. Absolutely. That was the first thing I said. He stepped on his foot. Stepped on his foot. That's what it looked like. (laughs) And we could never see whether or not he did. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you do see uh, they did get a good replay of a very clean punch landing and and Thurman's eyes kind of rolling. Yeah. That part seemed legit. It wasn't, I mean, like a, the next fight we'll talk about uh, where, where there was a completely illegitimate knockdown right. call with a right. foot stepped on. But, uh, but I mean, listen, on the flip side of that, too, you've got Thurman, who many people feel like has never really kind of gotten his, his groove back since uh, beating Garcia, taking that long layoff. Yeah. And injuries that that people you know uh, think are more serious than, than, than what has been led on, like he may not just may not be the same fighter could be um you know tender hand supposedly you know doctors advised him to get surgery after the lopez his first comeback fight and yeah. then the pacquiao fight comes up and he takes the fight yeah so it, it you know uh may have been a diminished keith we we don't know you know because you know he, he didn't get another get back fight as as, no. as he talked about but um it seemed like it was a pretty good Keith Thurman, though. Oh, like I think was, so. Yeah, it wasn't like a com- uh, completely washed Keith Thurman. That's not what I was seeing. No. Uh, he was there to win, and, and, you know, it looked like, in all honesty, he was coming on and, and would win. Uh, he swept a bunch of the uh, middle rounds, and then came that body shot in the 10th round. And that was just, it. That just kind of brought Pacquiao right back into it, and yeah. Thurman had another hole to dig out of, so... Um, he found a groove in those middle rounds that was really interesting where he seemed to time Pacquiao, yeah. really disrupted Pacquiao's rhythm, and you just wondered, was it sort of going to be, I don't know, an echo of Marquez, like just timing him right. for something? But it just didn't happen. And as, as you say, that body shot was just so – I mean, I think this is what brings up all the drug rumors is whenever there's not really stringent testing – there's this knockout power that seems to emerge. <laughs> and when there is testing, you know, the only knockouts we're, we're seeing from him are, are the ones that Freddie Roach is endlessly predicting for him with every <laughs> opponent he fights. Right. So I don't know. It, it's, it's definitely suspicious, I think, unavoidably. But it was a thrilling fight. And, uh, yeah, I was very impressed with Thurman. I mean, Pacquiao is a lot to handle, but, but still he's just so much smaller. Right. Thurman looked huge next yes, to him. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Yeah, look bigger than him in, in, in most every way. But uh, <laughs> massive, uh, massive win for for Pacquiao. I mean, where where does he go from here? I mean, who would you like to see him in against? I mean, who would you like to see him in against? I'd love to see him fight Garcia. I guess that's not. I guess that's a tough one. Mikey Garcia. Yeah, Mikey, Mikey Garcia. Yeah. yeah. I like Danny Garcia too as a fight. I respect Danny Garcia. He's sure amazingly capable of finding a way to win right. against a, a real array of impressive op- opponents. I think Mikey Garcia would just be more fun for some reason. There's a novelty yeah, to it. If, it's kind of like if, if Mikey's going to fight at 47, that seems to be the ideal fight because Pacquiao is a small yeah, welterweight yeah. And, and Garcia showed against uh, Spence that he's a tiny welterweight. Ugh. He does not belong in with the, with the big welterweight. He, he didn't. He didn't. I think it'd be a lot more competitive than that fight. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And and you know, Mikey's got a great boxing IQ. He places his shots well. He's all about timing, and you know, timing was all you know what Marquez did to Pacquiao. Yeah, so, yeah, um, yeah. I, I think that that's a great fight. Um, you know, you you don't want to go back out to Vegas for uh, no. Mayweather Pacquiao too. No, I don't. Write <laughs> <laughs> another. Uh, you know. Long form for SB Nation? Yeah, no, 20,000 words was enough about the wonderful chemistry that was Mayweather <laughs> and Pacquiao. I, I've, I really did enjoy watching people play tag when I was six or seven years old. <laughs> but the idea that somebody would get, you know, $150 million, $200 million to do it, it wasn't. And honestly, like that fight, one of the things that was really extraordinary about it was not just this array of what, like the highest concentration of celebrities that have been assembled. Right. You know, when you think about it. It was an event. It was an event that had every, you know, Trump is there next to Michael Jordan. And, uh, you know, I I went to the bathroom and it was in the urinal next to Dave Chappelle. And we walked out and we're in orbit of Nicki Minaj's behind. And (laughs) Louis C.K. walks by us. And then we find our seat and there's Sting, Jesse Jackson, Magic wow. Johnson. It was just everywhere you looked, it felt like there were more celebrities than just people whose faces you didn't recognize. Wow. Wow. I've never seen anything like it before. Mm. And there was such anticipation just before that bell rung. <laughs> and uh, a, a friend of mine made the point with Mayweather long before the fight happened, but it was never more true than in that fight, that Floyd Mayweather unequivocally is the most exciting fighter in the history of boxing until the fight rings, <laughs> until the bell rings. Right, 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 right. It's a great line. And it's a nasty line. And early Mayweather, that's not true. He was a, a hugely exciting was fighter. A phenomenal. Phenomenal fighter. Yeah. I was a huge fan of him. But the Mayweather with the brittle hands and the Mayweather where the sizzle before the fight sells the fight. Right, and the Mayweather of his like late 30s. Thing. Yeah, yeah, that too. Yeah, that yeah. too. Uh, that's a guy that I haven't heard too many people reminiscing about how <laughs> wonderful those fights were. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess like the best you could hope for if, if that fight gets made is that Floyd at this point in time would have no legs, right? Yeah. And wouldn't be able to move because, I mean, he just easily moved around Pacquiao and outbox him. You have to feel like, you know, Floyd, if, you know, if he's anywhere near being Floyd, would still have huge advantages. Yeah. I mean, like Marquez gave Pacquiao all kinds of hell in four fights and everything Marquez does, Mayweather does much better. Yep. So I always felt that way. I always felt even if they fought in their primes, Mayweather would have handled them. The the only hope you have of getting a decent fight this time around is Floyd's inactivity and his age finally like diminish 
the wheels fall off. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's it. His skills enough, and and Manny, you know, is is rejuvenated enough that <laughs> that it would somehow pull them a little more even. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's not ideal. But at the same time, you know, if I'm managing either fighter, well, put this: if I'm managing Pacquiao, it's no brainer that that's the one I want. He's forty years 100%. old. Hundred percent. You don't want to put him in with Spence. You don't want to put him in any more. Tough you don't want fights. to go He's anywhere been near so many wars. You don't want to go anywhere near Spence. Right, right. Spence. I don't know that Pacquiao does much better than Garcia against Spence. Right. Frankly, right. right. Uh, just that's all wrong for him. And I mean, if if this Pacquiao, if there is lenient on drug testing, and they let Super Pacquiao go in there against Mayweather <laughs> in a rematch, I agree with you. I think what the Mayweather that we saw against McGregor. And in, over in Japan, that's a shadow of the guy who fought Pacquiao. Right. So right. how much can he get back? If he wasn't training as hard, and I've heard rumors about that, that his hands were so bad. Right. He wasn't able to train the way he ordinarily was. Um, you know, does Pacquiao get that final vindication? Right. Handing, handing the, the, the lone loss? I just, even with all that, I'm still late. I, don't, I just don't think so. I don't think I'll I don't ever, either. he'll yeah. ever be able to beat Floyd. I mean, Floyd's arms alone, like the reach issue between the two of them, exactly. just how intelligent he is. In and the his ring. IQ, yeah. I mean, you know, maybe it's a closer fight, but even if like Floyd stayed on the ropes for 12 rounds, I'd, I'd still favor him to somehow find a way to, 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 to beat Pacquiao. I think so, too. I, I just don't <laughs> like that fight for Pacquiao. But, but I mean, the Pacquiao, Floyd is there watching. Floyd jumped into the ring before the fight started. Yeah, now he's all into that. Oh, man, I'm, you know, I, I, you know, he just put, you know, put my name out there. His name has always got to be, you know, hyped with mine. You know, he can't even have fame on his own. Well, you know, he's like, he's like offended that anyone yeah. would even think he's interested in, a, in fighting Pacquiao. But we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, I, I would just just say that the Pacquiao, prime Pacquiao, Cotto, De La Hoya, Margarito. I do think Floyd was ducking that guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that I don't think he would win because I right. still think I would favor Floyd. But I think Floyd was, you know, kind of like Ali with Foreman, where he's looking at past opponents and going, "Boy, this guy's sure handling people." I had a <laughs> lot of trouble with pretty easily. Absolutely, yeah. What he did to Cotto to me was the most impressive of all. Staggering because Cotto, you know, had lost to Margarito and that, you know controversial fight but sure. come back and you know he was amped for Pacquiao and you know he felt like I can kick this little guy's ass yep so that was about as good a Cotto as you're gonna see and and Pacquiao just met him full on and just gave him a beating yeah like a legit beating. oh it was brutal <laughs> brutal fight so uh yeah that Pacquiao would have been a handful for anybody in, in, in history I think but uh yeah, I mean, I don't know. Those are, those are kind of the choices. I mean, I, you know, with with Pac, you you know, hopefully he's hoping. I'm sure they can lure Mayweather back in for one last cash bonanza, mm-hmm. or you know, one of the Garcias. I I just don't think they're gonna they're gonna let Spence have that fight. You know, assuming Spence beats Porter, you know, Spence wants it really bad. Yeah, but I don't I don't think he's gonna get it. I think everyone involved with Pacquiao knows better. <laughs> they don't want to let Errol beat him up. Do you think there's a chance, like with Gamboa's victory last night, that that he's somebody that could just sort of create a good fight for Pacquiao? Like, is there Gamboa's too small? Though. Too small, you think? I mean, Gamboa at at lightweight looks really small. Yeah. I mean, jumping him all the way up to welterweight. I mean, that's that's mm. yeah. I don't, I don't think anybody'd be interested in that. One. You don't think Pacquiao could go down a weight class at this point? 
I think he might be able to make forty yeah. if 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 he had. That was my to. thought: is that maybe at one forty they could meet. Like to me, to me, I mean, when he was with when he was still with Top Rank, the talk of him and Lomachenko at one forty to me, I thought was was that's really exciting. interesting. Yeah, that's exciting. And you would think Lomachenko, you know, is really would be really small for that way, and maybe not a big puncher. So yeah. you're maybe not as afraid that Pacquiao is going to get snowed under, but. Uh, I think he loses that fight yeah but, I, I, yeah but i'd watch it i'd love to watch yeah it. exactly i mean it's interesting it's you know it's kind of along the lines of mikey you know just a, yeah. a smaller guy um but but yeah i mean uh, we'll see we'll see what happens i mean yeah you know if, if pacquiao doesn't fight again i'm i'm satisfied i mean I, that was such great a great fight to go great out fight on. to go out on. yeah, yeah no question but i mean the mayweather thing you know nine figures in one night yeah, and you're not going to get hurt. Yeah, it's it's to me it's a no brainer for either guy. I mean, if Floyd still has that itch to scratch, that's the fight. That's the only fight really that makes yeah. sense for him, and it's the fight that makes the most sense for Pacquiao. So. And this might be a very limited window for them to really do it. I agree. Pacquiao has Heyman. Pacquiao's coming off this big win again. There's chatter. Can he do it? He's got one fight left with the PBC. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's all lining up, but it's up to Floyd. Yeah, it's going to be up to Floyd. You know, Pac wants it. I wonder though. Just last thing on it is like, what kind of numbers did Pacquiao like generate with this fight? I, you know, I I've seen a few things. I think. I mean, I don't know. There, it may have just been speculation, but I think. In order to sign with the PBC, they had to give him very high guarantees. Yeah. So I'm thinking, you know, maybe, you know, between 15 and 20 or wow. something. Hmm. So with just 500,000 pay-per-view buys, that's, I don't know, you know, just I'm not going to do the math in my head right now. But yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't know that, uh, you know, and I'm sure Thurman got paid quite a bit too, so... Uh, and yet he's not really a pay-per-view star by any stretch. Yeah, this was his first shot at it. Yeah. So, you know. Hmm. I mean, I'm sure kind of in the in the grand scheme of things, you know, with, with Fox, you know, five hundred is not a bad number. Right? No, no, no. But you have to wonder if, if if Pacquiao signed for an inflated amount of money to, to go to the PBC, then Yeah. You know, you wonder if they actually made any money on the deal. You know, we'll see. Maybe they lost money. I don't know. I it's, don't know. It does seem like it's positioned as a loss leader to create something like a Mayweather pack. Yeah. I mean, you that's know. that would be the payoff. I'm sure Fox sure. is definitely uh, definitely pushing for that. So. Put it on TV like uh, Tyson and Buster Mathis Jr. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's, to me, to me that, that's exactly what they ought to be doing with all of these fights. Yeah. You know, I mean – I don't know. I'd have to talk to Evan Rakowski, who knows yeah. TV backwards and forwards. Like, what kind of ad revenue would you get for something like this? That How much could you charge? Because, I mean, Evan actually posted something about, like, the most watched sporting events. And, mm-hmm. you know, football, you know, it was, like, millions and millions of people. And, like, the top 50 events, like, the lowest one on there, I think, was, like, over 7 million viewers. It's crazy, yeah. It's crazy. But I'm just, like, if Mayweather Pacquiao had been on TV, you don't think it would have done, like, well over 7 million viewers, maybe 10 million viewers? I mean... You think it would do Super Bowl numbers? It would have been damn close. I think so, too. It would have been damn close. I think so, too. And, that, and that's it. You know, people say, oh, well, boxing's, you know, a fringe sport and this and that. It's because it's not on re- – the best don't yeah. fight the best on regular TV. We're the only sport that limits our audience. Right. The biggest fights, yeah, go to the fewest amount of people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we go out of our way to limit the audience. 
and now I guess like just illegal streaming is what sort of well the if that's what kills pay per view then damn it let's kill pay per view yeah. I mean I'm 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 all in favor of uh, getting it back on 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 TV but of course you know for on the fighters end of it they're probably gonna have to take less money but. Well, I think they've created a bubble with this. With I mean, it's, I'm glad the fighters are making more money. I'm all for the fighters and the sport. But at the same time, you know, like we're seeing with the Pacquiao-Thurman fight, like it's not commiserate with the, the revenue that they're generating. It's been that way for a long time. And it has. Yeah, ever since it went to HBO. Yeah, I think HBO, yeah. You I mean, you, you've got, you know, I mean, we've got it all backwards. I mean, in the yeah. UK, you have to have gates. You have to have people come right. out because TV's not paying that much. Right. Here, like TV was overpaying so much, you could have like an Andre Berto draw two hundred fans and still make millions of dollars because right. TV was supplementing that. Yeah, and just I mean, even those audiences in the UK. I mean, Jesus, like you go to a fight here, and if there's thirty percent English people, it's a, it's a completely different complexion to go to a fight. Right, right, right. Completely right. different because like, and it's weird for me as a Canadian where passivity is like the national character <laughs> and to see Americans look passive yes. next to the English, which they do. Like Absolutely. They, they just, they just sit there and idly watch the event where the English, the English are there dressed up. Singing, it's an event. They're yeah. singing. Neil Diamond oddly kicks <laughs> off the event. And it's just like, what, what's going on? Because like seeing how we embrace college football here or right. the NFL or right. basketball now or concerts or all that. But in boxing, it's just the fans are other than, you know, watching a Puerto Rican fighter come to New York. Right. That's a different thing. Well, you've or, got Puerto Rico, Mexico, out, Mexico, different, the Poles, the Irish. That's true. You have different ethnicities and, and nationalities who come out for the fights, and you can draw a big crowd. If you've got a hyphen with your <laughs> with your nationality, you've got a great crowd. It's true, right? The right, moment's right. just like it's just an American guy fighting, right? You could guarantee there's an audience that's going to be very quiet and sort of clapping yeah. obediently. Right. Yeah, it's it's there's just there's no real national identity when it no. comes to to boxing here in the United States. Yeah, I always you know I've pointed out to you before you. Know, to me, it was just absolutely embarrassing when Mayweather fought Canelo. Yeah. You know, they play the Mexican national anthem and you've got all these Mexican fans and Canelo with his hand over his heart singing the Mexican national anthem. Yeah. And then the U.S. anthem comes on and you don't hear a peep from the audience. And Mayweather's like walking around the corner like, you know, they're not even playing anything. I'm just like, damn, man, this country's lost the plot, man. There's no like... There's no, uh, you know, just national pride or, you know, especially when it comes mm-hmm. to boxing. Uh, and, I, you know, I mean, I would hope that in other sports, maybe if like the Olympics came here, you'd have flags waving and so on. But in boxing, we just don't have that. Well, and, and I find the way people talk about it reflects it is that mainly what we want to talk about is the money. Right. And the money is fine, but it's not particular. You know, it's like in a movie, it doesn't matter how much money they're robbing from the bank. <laughs> it's the people guarding the bank, you know, who care about it or whatever. But the amount of money, the moment you're dwelling on that, it's a boring movie. Right, right, right. And and so it's sort of true in boxing as well that it's just if all we're talking about with Pacquiao Mayweather is the money it generated. We're not talking about any interesting moments that happened in that fight. Right, right. Anything. Right. Then you've got a problem. Absolutely. Because it's it's a heist movie where <laughs> nobody cares about like the characters <laughs> or the plot or anything. It's just a really flashy trailer to sell it to people mm. and they feel swindled. Yeah. 
And and I agree with you. I go to, you know, you and I go to a lot of fights together. And the moment the national anthem starts, I hear a lot of kind of moaning of like, oh, here we go. Let's get it over with. It's odd. Yeah. It's yeah. odd. Yeah. That's that's a, that's a, I don't know. It's a phenomenon going on. It's been going on for a while. Maybe post yeah. uh, Vietnam. I don't know. know. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. But it's just, it's just interesting that these other countries have so much fun at the idea of, cheering on somebody so from where pride. they come from and yeah. pride and and but enjoyment and you know like god the english boxing scene has been it was laughed at by americans for decades with how awful their fighters were relative oh, to absolutely. the supremacy of the americans yes. and the moment they have somebody to cheer they're willing to spend thousands of dollars to fly over wherever they're fighting That's to practice. support them you know i mean my, my friend uh, scott schaefer calls it the capital of boxing now i mean right, you know right. you, you've got may, major events going on there you've got their major promoters sure. coming over here and competing here sure you know, uh, they have probably almost as many world champions coming from that little, you know, country yep. as, as we do uh, here. It's it's crazy. It's, it's crazy. a very different. Yeah. I mean, I know just just even the moment I got to Cuba to talk to anybody to ask questions about, you know, basic boxing question. Where's this gym? Where's Kid Chocolate Coliseum or this fighter or that? Everybody, regardless of age, gender, knows mm. about boxing and cares about it, right. which was fun. And baseball, too. But it was just a sense of they represent us. Right. It's a lot of national pride. A lot. Of, a lot. And and here it's it feels more like professional wrestling without the fun. <laughs> <laughs> I guess yeah, there's there's a lot more competition here too. Yeah, you true, know, true, true. The gazillion major sports uh, to to compete with. It's 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 a more competitive marketplace. But but hey, let's let's uh, let's get let's get to the next uh, fight that 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 was really good. Um, just last night, um, unification fight at junior welterweight. You had Jose uh, Carlos Ramirez and. Maurice Hooker, um, great fight down in Dallas, um, you know, back and forth, um, kind of a bogus knockdown in the first mm-hmm. round, but, uh, you know, Ramirez came on in the sixth and, and got the win, you know, which was a, it was a big risk, you know, I mean, he, he went into Hooker's hometown and, yeah. and top rank, uh, went on a rival network with one of their stars, a guy who draws big in his hometown, you know, um, put up a lot of money for this yeah, fight to happen. Yeah. Dizone, you know, Hearn obviously, yeah. and, and Dizone took a risk, you know, they were hoping to come away with all the belts. Yeah. Um, you know, excellent fight. Oh, Unification. Fight. It's, you know, this is the way boxing should be, you know? I think so too. I mean, there was so much drama in that fight, back and forth, huge action fight, and a tremendous finish. Right. You know, this is, I mean, this is what we're talking about fights where there's so many different things to talk about that excite people. Yes. And, uh, and they knew this going in that it was worth the investment to make it happen, and the fighters executed. And, uh, yeah, I love, I love every part of it. And, we need more of it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, you know, one of the more interesting aspects, you had, like, two major players. You've got yeah. top rank and and matchroom, you know, behind the scenes, both of whom have TV deals, you know, mm-hmm. massive TV deals, but, you know, found a way to put two champions on their roster who, you know, are relatively important parts of their roster, um, you know, to, to, to work around the networks and all the, the business bullshit and just make a really good fight happen. Yep. And it, it didn't seem like there were protracted negotiations and back and forths no. and, oh, he's ducking me and this and that. It got done. I mean, you know, I don't know. It just, just frustrates the shit out of me. It's like, 
17 weight divisions in this sport. Ugh. You look you look in the ratings, there's at least three, four, five like really good fighters in each division. So many great fights to make. Yeah. You've got four major networks paying tens of millions of dollars at least. You know, with the zone, you probably got hundreds of millions of dollars they're investing in the sport. Yeah. How do we not get a fight like this every weekend? Yeah. Every fucking weekend. Yeah. We should have, you know, I mean is it that hard? You know, Aram and Hearn made it look pretty easy to coordinate. This. Well, it, ta- it takes real talent. For as much genius <laughs> as you hear about Al Heyman's business acumen, I think it deserves even more credit. It takes even more genius than he's credited with to leave us with no fights that have achieved any degree of, of memorable legacy. How do you do that with that much, you know, venture capital dropped in and so many talented fighters with such great chemistry to create many fights, right? many rematches, many rubber matches, and yet what do we have right. as a result of all of this investment with all these brilliant people? We're hearing about their brilliant education in order to – and acumen to create these fights. The problem is we don't have the actual substance. Right, right. Yeah, I mean listen. I mean you know, PBC, I mean like, like I, you know, I've, I've said throughout these podcasts, I mean uh, absolute credit. I mean you know, I'm sure you know, with, with, with all the money that they had from, from the, the hedge fund – they would probably tell you they would have done it different, you know, mm-hmm. looking back, you know, they would have done things differently. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, they, they did get, I, I don't think we'd see all this money in the sport, but for them taking a chance and, and doing the time by and showing that people still watch boxing. True. And they accomplished that. Yeah. That, that was an accomplishment. But yeah, as far as, you know, what, what I think is the next step, which is, you know, actually taking the sport of boxing to the next level to bring it back to being a major sport, which like, as we said, you know, if, you know, Mayweather Pacquiao was on regular TV, you'd have just as many people watching it as the NBA and the NFL. Like the really good finals, the finals, exactly. The really good fights can draw as much as any of the major sports. It's just, you know, making that happen. And, you know, with all of this fucking money in the sport, you know, that's supposed to be the impediment to making big fights, right? right? Is that it's money. You know, when the money's there, the f- big fights get made. Well, where the fuck are the big fights? Yeah. You know, where are the, when, you know, where, when, when are these, get, all these big fights going to happen? We've got over $400 million floating around the sport. And probably a billion dollars spent <laughs> right. in total right. so far. Right. And you've got, what, four or five real major players yeah. who, if they led on this thing, I mean, you know, you've got the NBA, you've got 30 owners who probably dwarf Aram, you know, Heyman sure. and in wealth and power and this and that. Sure. And they schedule 82 games a year for these 30 different franchises, right? right? And playoffs, and they do it over like four or five networks. Right. You're telling me that four or five guys in boxing who've got these like uh, TV deals on, on lockdown – can't just get together and, and coordinate and cooperate and give us a great fight or give us tournaments or right. like organize this thing. Organize it, yeah. <laughs> so it, that and now you know for the future too, because TV deals come and go. If you've got a that, structure that you can sell point. and and you know like oh, for the next TV deal, yeah. I mean, what we're getting now are low TV ratings and shit fights. Yeah, it's yeah. so frustrating. Why can't we get unification fights or or some? 
you know, obviously for me, I'm just like, make the fucking tournaments that the World Boxing Super Series is. Yeah, I totally agree. The best fighting the best. And I also think just, you know, how long are we going to have this infusion of money? You know, boxing has always been this hemophiliac in terms of, (laughs) you know, we get this money in and we just think we're going to be flush for a long time. Right. But the dysfunctionality is just – it's so overrun with dysfunctionality. Right. Nobody can play well with others. Yeah. There's and just so much antipathy. There's so much antipathy. History and, of hate. And, 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 no, and no concern with just the welfare of the sport, just for right. the overall health of the sport. Absolutely. You know, Heyman comes in with all of this money. What is his concern? Is it for the betterment of himself or is it for the better of the sport, to improve mm-hmm. the sport? Yes, he's helping out the fighters, but why is he doing it? For his own benefit. Mm. You know, for the benefit of consolidating his power in the sport to, to remove the other guys. And it's an effective strategy, but once he runs out of the money, right. what, what is the goodwill he's created in order to have that be the gravitational pull to bring in more fighters? It doesn't right. exist. Right. So I just wonder, once these people recognize that b- boxing maybe isn't the best place for their money to invest. Right. Because and there's rumors of that. You know, they're sure. saying the bubble's going to burst, like the zone isn't you know getting quite i mean i don't think they're far off target or maybe they are because they don't release the numbers but they haven't quite hit the targets that they've publicly set yeah Um, i mean i think they were hoping for a million subscribers uh by the time uh the canelo and joshua fights happened and uh at best i think they were around you know high 600 700 which ain't bad no it's not bad but uh espn plus i mean is that is what you're hearing about that that it's doing well is that a healthy i mean listen the boxing ratings on espn proper have been down this year yeah why because you haven't had pacquiao you know pacquiao left um you haven't had uh lomachenko or or crawford i think fighting or maybe if they did no they they haven't fought on on espn proper and and top rank just too damn thin they don't have enough talent their roster is not deep enough yeah to uh to uh, to make great fights, mm-hmm. you. Uh, but as I said, you know, you've got all these weight divisions with great fighters. There should never be a weekend where we see just you know a developmental fight or or like two guys who you know the fight's going to suck. You know, yeah, I agree that that no one has an interest in or a mismatch. No, the talent is there. It's just, uh, yeah, it's 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 weird. It's it's, it's odd to me because it's kind of like Hollywood in that. If it's not a superhero movie, they don't seem to know what to do. <laughs> You've got all these great talent to, to throw right. great directors, great right. actors, and they're just, what, what do we take a chance on? <laughs> what do grown-ups want to watch? Right, uh, right. I don't know. And, yeah, it's just, there's so much talent in boxing right now. But on the other hand, you've got to be doing things to create the next generation of fighters to incentivize them to come in. Right. You know, so I think like Andy Ruiz, this is the thing I bring up all the time in regard to what his winning the title does. It incentivizes millions of Mexican-Americans and Mexicans, just flat out Mexicans to think, wow, if he can do it, I can do it. I like this and I like the response he's getting from this. Absolutely. You know, and they don't have that guy where they can identify with a heavyweight champion, the first guy to ever do it. You can't you can't get a more marketable person than that. Right, right, right. And uh, you know we're generally like, how many people did Mayweather inspire to follow in those footsteps? Yeah, you want to make the money to to be like that, but in terms of the style 
that he, you know, the, the whole thing is about I have a zero, I never lose, and I have this very defensive style. That is something that's incentivized a style of boxing that most casual fans do not enjoy. Right, right, You know, right. it's good for Mayweather. Right. But is it good for anybody else? I don't know. Right. Yeah, it's kind of the, the, the opposite of, you know, what Tyson did for the sport. Right, right? it's exactly where, the opposite. Where just he was such much sea viewing and, and he delivered, you know, before sure. he kind of fell apart. But, um, you know, when, when he was at his absolute prime, yeah, he was must sea viewing and he delivered. Bigger than, not just boxing, but bigger than sports. Right, a cultural right. icon. Right. I mean, I mean, listen, yeah, I think, you know, right now we don't have like a definitive pound-for-pound fighter. Um, no. We have some very good fighters, but but no one who's pound-for-pound pound and, and no one who's really, you know, transcending the sport. No, I mean, I think Inoue is the one, is another guy. I love having an iconic Japanese fighter come in there and do something we've never seen oh, somebody absolutely. from Japan do right. before. And, and just thrilling fans and, and, yeah, just growing the fan base, turning it more and more, ever increasingly, into a global sport. Uh, it's wonderful, wonderful for the game. And, yeah, I think if we get more of these fights, we get more of an audience, you're just going to incentivize more great athletes to choose boxing, to get involved with it, and ideally assist in cleaning it up and legitimizing it rather than this black box that boxing has been yeah. for so long. Yeah, yeah, where, where we're putting, you know, we're just selling it out to, like, the highest bidder That's it. and, and the, That's the it. least amount of, yeah, which is a, a big complaint about zone, you know, is that, you know, there, there's, you know, we're we're putting these, you know, they're spending a lot of money, but, you know, who's seeing the fights? Right. Who's seeing Anthony Joshua? Who's seeing Canelo? You know, we're the biggest stars in the sport. No, I mean, it's the, it's like the wire. I mean, boxing still is like the guy selling drugs on the street corner. <laughs> it's not the kingpin, you know, it's not McDonald's. It's not basically the same blueprint of how to do business right. in any legitimate sense. It's just a street corner guy, you know, yelling at you about how, how shrewd he is as a businessman or whatever, because he can get people hooked on this product. But it's just not, there's just so, I think it's such an effective drug to get a lot of people hooked, as boxing has done historically. Right. But it's just always – it just has this magnificent ability to get in its own way. Yes, yes. And just narrow and narrow and, and increasingly niche the sport in ways that are, are very frustrating to people who care about it. Right, right. Well, you know, we were talking about the good in the yeah, sport. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Let's, uh, since, we're, <laughs> since we're heading uh, you know, the downhill, let's, let's go to the, to the bad of the good, the bad, sure. and the, uh, the tragic, I guess. Um, yeah, um, to me, the, the, the thing that led the headline for the bad was uh, the Dillian White-Oscar uh, Rivas fight and just kind of the fallout of what went on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, the fight itself was, you know, Fairly competitive fight. Um, you know, White kind of outboxed Rebus. Rebus had his moment. He dropped uh, White with a, a devastating uppercut. Decent fight. You sure. Know, good sure. scrap. Good scrap. But, uh, you know, it's been reported. Several major outlets have reported it. Uh, you know, that Dillian White tested positive for some banned substances, PEDs, supposedly trace, very trace amounts of uh, anabolic steroids. It's interesting. You've got two different agencies who did the testing, and you've got VADA, who's generally lauded as yeah. the gold standard for for testing. And uh, you know, when when I first saw the headlines, I, mean, I, I totally messed up on Twitter. I was just like, "Oh man, you know, you know, uh, this is crazy." You know, uh, 
uh, you know, Dillian White, you know, tested positive, you know, and man, you know, this is why we need Vada. And I was like, you know, dumbass, uh, they, they, they use Vada. They tested for Vada. Like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, all right. Um, but, uh, but, you know, Tom, Tom Hauser was basically like, well, well yeah, Vada tested, but, you know, they're not going to catch everything. And it, yeah. as it turns out, um, the other agency, the actual, you know, uh, governing body or testing agency in Britain, uh, uh, UKAD, you know, UK anti-doping, uh, UCAT, yeah. um, caught him. You know, they're, they're the ones who got the positive test. So that's all fine and good. You know, that's what's supposed to happen when you're when you're randomly testing. You know, you, mm-hmm. you're supposed to catch people who, who have these drugs in their system. But apparently they had a hearing. And this is where it gets fuzzy. I'm not sure who conducted this hearing. Um, uh, a very good attorney, uh, Eric McGracken in in, in, in Canada, I think maybe even, I mean, I think he might be from BC, um, uh, has a great uh, legal blog, the Combat Sports Law Legal Blog, and he kind of laid out, if this went according to Hoyle, um, Hoyle being a a turn of phrase, but uh, uh, yeah, White, if he had a hearing, in this hearing, he would have had to have proved, um, in, in order to get out of his like provisional Suspension, which if you test positive for something, you get a you know you just you know you're you're guilty until proven innocent. Sure, but he would have had to prove at this hearing that there was either a fatal flaw in the test, you know, make a strong case that he bears no fault or negligence, um, prove that the violation involved the contaminated product, which you know I have no idea what went on, but I would assume that would have been his argument, um, or some other facts that make it unfair to impose a provisional suspension prior to a full hearing on the merits. So. It doesn't seem like it's a high bar, <laughs> but yeah. but this was supposed to be for like a panel that gets called, um, and I don't know if there was a the, the the national anti-doping panel was called or they just did this in front of the the British Boxing Board of Control. I really don't know the details of it. it it's all very fuzzy. Huh. Um, but supposedly it was three days before the fight. They have this hearing and he gets cleared. But and the fight goes off, and Rivas's camp doesn't hear a peep about this yeah, until it's reported in the press. That's, that's I mean, as we're talking about ring deaths and, and right. allowing what something. What if something like that happens to Rivas? Yeah, I mean, this isn't Carl Lewis failing multiple <laughs> <laughs> multiple tests and then going in there in '84, or rather in '88. '88, I should say. Um, no, well, Carl Lewis. You mean uh, Johnson? No, I mean Carl Lewis. Carl Lewis failed test? Everybody in that race failed oh, the test. Okay. I you know, the, know. US, the U.S. <laughs> set up a policy where they would allow them to do tests beforehand to see what they could get away with to perfect, like, the masking agents and that wow. kind of thing. Wow, so, no, great. Lewis popped several times, and then they didn't disclose it, and then they mysteriously lose the sample so they can't be tested later. <laughs> so Johnson was the scapegoat, but, I mean, it was widespread. All I mean, everybody's cheating. Mm. So is it that way in boxing? I, I don't know, but, I mean, this handling of it is beyond negligence, and, you know, something happened to, to an opponent of a guy who's allowed to <laughs> not just compete, but compete without the other side being aware of, of what he's been accused yeah, of. It's, it's, it's a weird kind of like falling through the cracks kind of thing. I mean, sure. I, I get there are issues with, with medical records of disclosure and privacy. I mean, we have that here in the States. Yeah. Um, so, you know, maybe that's why, you know, and also respect to the athlete, you know, um, um, I think the reason why, uh, you know, UKAD takes 
so long with these cases and they take a long time to adjudicate them is they try to do a thorough investigation mm-hmm. and, and be fair to the athletes. And that's all fine and good if, if it's sprinting or it's, you know, tiddlywinks. But, but not fighting. But fighting, yeah, like three days before the event, if if you're on the other side of this, and, and I, I kind of did a cursory look through the rules, yeah. you know, they're supposed to notify all interested parties, but they, they don't <laughs> define interested party as a competitor. They define interested parties as just the testing agencies. Who I would assume would be the most interested party as my life is on the line with a grotesquely unfair advantage. Exactly. So, you know, so so where else could you possibly deal with this? I mean, you know, like going forward, if, if this is how it works, like you could have a guy fighting you test positive in England and you would never know about it. Yeah. And he's had a hearing where he's, you know, argued about it he gets cleared and you don't hear a peep about it. like so you pretty much have to you know be you know in in a in the contracts beforehand you have to base and and i know i know in in and i've seen you know i've done these contracts a million times mm-hmm. when you have vada testing you know there's notification in there you always put the you know the the, the promoter of the fighter and the, and the provision of services agreement that, that goes on between the parties you know the the promote both promoters get notified if, if one of the fighters tests positive. Yeah. All right. Those are also medical records, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well. So I, I would think if 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 you're allowing or or you're, or you're both stipulating to the fact that you're going to disclose any VADA test results, I would think going forward, if, if this is if this is legit, like. Eddie Hearn didn't do anything wrong or BBC technically didn't do anything legally wrong. You got to put that in the contract. You got to say, listen, he pops positive for either VADA or UCAD. You know, we need to know. And if there's a hearing, we at least need to be there, you know, you know, and and it's the most basic expectation (laughs) of like doing the test in the first place is to protect the person most at risk. Absolutely. And vulnerable to that. Absolutely. uh, and infringement. They, and they need to have, you know, some sort of right to terminate the contract. Just, I mean, you know, you had the flip side of it here. You had sure. uh, Jarrell Miller testing positive and they cut him loose like that. He, his B sample wasn't tested. Yeah. They didn't wait. I yeah. mean, he was gone. He was out of the fight. They had the, the option to terminate the contract. It's been weird for so long. I mean, I remember, and maybe you can clarify this for me, but I remember when Roy Jones, I started seeing rumors about him popping. Right. And then I heard him come out and say it was rip fuel. Right. Okay, I understand it's against the rules to take rip fuel. But what I didn't hear was the people who who claimed he tested positive say he tested positive for rip fuel. I heard them say he violated a substance. Right. He took a substance that was banned. Right. And then his response was to get on top of that and say it was this. Yeah, I think with, with Roy Jones, I mean uh, – I don't know the. I mean, that one. You know, th- that was like pre-internet, so there wasn't right, like right, a right. huge coverage of that. The the limited amount I know from that that was a post-fight test, and the reason the commission didn't suspend him or do anything was because Richard Hall, his opponent, also tested positive. Oh, Jesus! In that case, and again, it was after the fight. Well, and I bring it up because it was kind of like the the situation with Andro and Mark McGuire, in that Mark McGuire used as a cover that somebody saw Andro in his locker room and it was like, yeah, I take Andro, but it's a legal substance. So there's some kind of explanation for how he's gained 40 pounds of lean muscle at like 35. Right, right, right. You know, just like the, the other defense that they all do is I've never tested positive. Right, That's right. not an answer to whether you cheat. 
Well, that I mean, you know, I mean, you you're very familiar with uh, Lance Armstrong. Sure. I mean, Lance, I mean, I think the Tour de France tests like every day. Oh, he's the most tested athlete in history. Yeah, like it the, means nothing of that race. I think they test every day. Yeah, and uh, he was able to beat the test. So the fact that Vada didn't catch it, um, you know, I, Tom Tom said this for you know they're not going to catch everything. He's like, you know, the, 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 the best we can do in a sport is probably, you know, for all, you know, rated fighters to sign up for, for Vada 365 testing. Sure. Like, that's the best we can probably do. <laughs> but even that, it's, it's not, it's literally not 360. Guys don't get tested every day. No. It's still random testing, you know. Well, and just fundamentally, it's, I mean, it's just like the drug war. They're always going to have a bigger advantage to cheat. Right, right. And I mean, this is not the drug war because there's an incentive for this industry to permit these guys to cheat. Right. To to you know give this impression as if they're trying to scrutinize it or keep the sport clean, they make more money with guys cheating. Right, Pacquiao just won an incredible title in an incredible fight at forty years old, and to see Teddy Atlas on ESPN say, "I want to take the supplements that he's taking," I think that's a verbatim quote. <laughs> if I don't believe the Fountain of Youth was discovered by so and so, I think Manny Pacquiao discovered it. <laughs> That he, who holds himself up to be a truth teller, in no way is scrutinizing the achievement. Right, right, right. Is quite something. Why? Because it's good for, you know, it's, it's making a lot of people a lot of money. Right. And in ways that we don't have stars of Pacquiao's caliber. Right. You know, so to have them for as long as we, like, why wasn't Muhammad Ali, why, how was Muhammad Ali passing brain examinations to fight his last few fights, because there's so much money to be made to have Muhammad <laughs> Ali. Where's another Ali to step in? Right. It doesn't exist. So I just wonder if at a certain point, do we just say, fuck it? Like, we're not, there's no way to stop it. Mm. Everybody's cheating anyway. You're kind of a dumb athlete not to be cheating with the testing not being that competent at catching cheaters. You know, Tommy Morrison's whole career, he, he was juicing. Right. Uh, Evander Holyfield. You know, clearly that body type to become a heavyweight, we know with Evan Fields, like, like <laughs> there's something going on. Yeah. There's piles of stuff going on. And, and many of these guys have come out after their careers were over to talk about how extensively they were cheating. Right. And like what like what's the I, I was watching a show speaking of Lance Armstrong. It was called the Tour de Pharmacy. It was like a mockumentary <laughs> about the Tour de France and it had a huge host of, of big name actors in it. And Lance has a cameo. Mm. where Lance is playing this like 60 minutes figure, shadowy figure, talking about the cheating that goes on in cycling. And I was thinking like you made hundreds of millions of dollars right. defrauding taxpayers <laughs> and, and cheating out people who, you know, if you played fair in that sport, you had no way to compete. Same with Mark McGuire. You're stealing somebody's job. Right. Where if he plays fair, he can't compete against you. Right, right. And what is the real hazard of doing that cheating? Mm. Do you lose all that money? Does does McGuire have right, to give it? Was give worth him? it for him. It was it's worth it for all of them. Right, yeah. I know, like uh, Jason Giambi, I remember, too. Sure. Like, uh, Massive contracts. Player. Massive, yeah. Like he was like a 250 hitter at best and, you know, not even much of a power hitter without right. without it. And watch and watch when these guys, watch when Lance gets asked, do you, should, you, should you have to give some of that money back considering that you've admitted to Oprah that you cheated during your entire career? And he's like, give my money back. Right. Right. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so the idea that it's not worth it for these guys right. 
It's crazy. Right. It's just crazy because yeah, there's, there's much more incentive to, to cheat and try and get over that. It's it just is. Wall Street. It's just right. Wall Street. If you right. fuck it up, you're gonna be your losses are gonna be subsidized. It's right. you know, it's capitalism for everybody else and your losses are socialized. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I guess, you know, and but but of course, you know, with, with the sport of boxing, you know, you know, you're not racing up a hill, you're not hitting a baseball, you're hitting that's, another human being. And head. that's the bigger point. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the point of liability. That should be taken much more seriously right. than the other sports. Yeah, they're cheating where it's even without juicing. It's an extremely dangerous. Sport. Yeah, but yeah. but with juicing, you know, I, and I hear this all the time from people outside of boxing. Like, how does how does juicing assist you in boxing? How does it assist your performance? How about in every right. way? Right. How about in every way? Is right. that an easy enough way? How about look at Barry Bonds as a guy in his mid thirties? What he's capable of being. As the greatest hitter in baseball, hitting forty odd home runs right. versus seventy two, right, right? With the same batting average, he's still, you know, well, even higher batting average. Yeah, an even yeah. higher batting average. But apply it to boxing. What if you, you know, you can train harder, you can train longer, you can recover from injuries better, you're stronger, you're faster. You know, look at the difference between Marquez in the first three fights and in the fourth fight. It's a different guy. <laughs> Yeah, he got so much bigger, so much stronger. Look what those punches did to Pacquiao. Right. You watch with Thurman landing clean shots to Pacquiao's jaw did. He didn't blink. Right. And he was kind of like that with Marquez in three fights, and then suddenly he wasn't. Right. Suddenly when he got hit cleanly, or not even cleanly, he's being put on his ass. Right. Well, what did that? Well, yeah, Marquez did it, but Marquez on juice did that. Right, right, right. You know, Marquez who looks inhumanly allegedly. large. Allegedly. Yeah, allegedly, yeah. <laughs> but just a guy whose body it's 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 not an improved Marquez. It's a different Marquez. Right. It's a different it's a you know, a Volkswagen transformed to a Ferrari. Right. Sort of and those kind of things in boxing, you know, if if it's just a chemical competition then we're just somewhere that I, I, I mean, I don't know if you put it to fans. Do you? I know fans want more home runs, and they don't care if everybody's cheating. They prefer that to lower home runs, right? Um, and we know everybody's not cheating. I don't know if you put it to a poll to to fight fans. You know, let's let them free for all. I think. I think. Listen, most. Well, I mean, I don't know if Twitter is representative of of fight fans, but I mean, any time a guy tests positive for, I mean, I mean, listen. In Dillian White's case, I mean, again, we don't know the facts. I mean, they, they've yet. been very secretive. You know, a couple of reporters have pulled teeth and, and gotten some information. But what we have, what's out there, is that it was very trace amounts. Mm-hmm. And that it's, you know, such trace amounts that it, it, he probably didn't ingest like a tablet of, of at least one of the articles said that. that yeah. it, it makes it unlikely that he ingested a tablet of anabolic steroids. So it's very possible that it's, you know, just he took something that was made, you know, was on the same conveyor belt as whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. some illegal drug, who knows. But um, but we had Ortiz popping, what, twice? Well, I that's think. it. You know, I, I, I my tweet was that you look at the top ten. You've got Fury. Right, you've right. got Ortiz. Yeah. You've got Povetkin. You've got Dillian White for a second time now. You've got Jarrell Miller. That's half of the top ten at heavyweight. And people, well, what about Joshua? What about Joshua? I mean, well, he has not tested positive for anything yet. No, he's he's looks like a bodybuilder, but you know, thus far, you know, he's he's tested clean. So, um, but it's but a dirty it's, sport. Yeah, that's that's what it tells us. We're in a very dirty sport, and if it's a dirty sport, these guys know far more than we do what they need to to remain 
chemically competitive. Right, and and the best we can do is Vada, and in in this case, obviously, even Vada didn't catch. Yep, uh, Billion White. So, well, and you see it. You see it also. I mean, I, I think a good place to look for this in terms of when you do clean up a sport that was dirty is like look at female the female hundred meter dash at the Olympics, mm. like FloJo. Right. Look at her just breaking record after record after record. She and didn't just break the record. Just annihilating she blew the record. out of the water. Yeah. And look at what it's been since. Right. <laughs> no one's, no one's gotten anywhere close. Why? Since, yeah, since Marion Jones got busted. Right. 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 Is because women have 10% of the testosterone that men do. So it's a lot more glaring in terms of it's, it's a lot harder for them to get away with it. Right. When there's, right. When there's actually serious testing. Whereas the men... Record after record after record yeah. after record. Suddenly, everybody is just annihilating like Ben Johnson-like records right. of cheating. What does it point to? Well, you talk to a lot of the experts. They always say it's the chemical barrier. Mm. That's what the women shows is here is Flojo cheating. Here is a relatively – Allegedly. 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 <laughs> but it's just it's – it's a pretty easy grid to make of when things are equal – and suddenly there's a chemical advantage. Yeah. And you just see, just like in baseball, where are those home runs? Who's the, after Bonds, after Bonds hit 72 home runs, what's the next most home run total? Yeah. It's, it it's doesn't all, come to you because. Well, it's, it's all steroid guys. It's like. It's all steroid guys. Yeah, it's like McGuire and Sosa and all those guys. No, I mean subsequently though. Oh, like yeah, after, yeah, yeah, yeah. After, after Bonds, yeah. It falls right back. I could to, not even tell you. That's yeah. it. It just falls right back to sort of pre-juicing era. Right. Where it's like to get 50, you know, Cecil Fielder getting 50 home runs. Oh, my God. Right. But for a while there, it was just anybody was hitting, you right, know, right. pushing for 60. Which tells you you're not going to catch everybody because no. Ryan Braun, what he's been caught a couple times, but yeah. he put up some massive numbers and got a massive contract out of it. Sure. You're not going to catch everybody, but I think it, it's it's a worthy pursuit to, to I mean, especially in boxing. Lord, especially in boxing with what we saw this week. I mean, you need to have some sort of testing protocol. And again, that comes back to, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you're going to, you, you uh, there's a lot of money in the sport, but I think to me, ideally, you know, we, if, if you can put together some sort of structure where, you know, you've got the top fights, you've got, you know, regular top fights, the top guys come together and you need that structure where, all of these big fights, you're having the type of testing that these guys had, um, Dillian White and, yeah, and yeah, Oscar yeah. Rivas, where you have even two competent agencies testing like and doing random testing and, and, and trying to catch these guys. We just need a concerted effort. Yeah. If we're serious about it, we need to be serious about it. And, and I, you also need, if someone gets caught before the fight, the other side has to know, damn yeah, it. Absolutely. You know, I, I just, it does not make any sense. I mean, I get, like I said, I get the privacy aspect of it. I get the trying to be fair to Dillian White, but who's being, it's just not fair to Oscar Rivas no. that he did not know about this and did not have the option to pull out of the fight. Absolutely. No, I think I, that's not just negligence. I mean, that's just criminal. Yeah, it really is. It's just criminal. It really is. And and maybe, you know, no one did anything wrong and they followed protocol to the T, but that's a massive hole in the protocol. <laughs> well, yeah, and just, I mean, to allow people to game the system in that way. I mean, I guess what's also disconcerting too is is, is at that fight, um, there was another thing uh, Russ Amber pointed out because he was with Rivas, um, is that they violated, they, they have um, 
you know, when, when, when you do these big fights with, uh, I mean, even without the big fights, I mean, well, mostly what happens in the big fights, you have a rules meeting mm-hmm. and the fighters, each side brings two pairs of gloves that they want to wear. Now it used to be, you had to wear the same type of gloves nowadays. And it's been this way for a while, um, for many years that, uh, you can bring your own gloves, like brand of gloves. Like mm-hmm. if I like Everlast or if I like Reyes or if I like Grant, I can bring those gloves and you, you bring your own gloves, but the other side gets to inspect you know, you pick the gloves you want to wear, they inspect them, and then you mark them like one and two. And the number ones, you know, both both pairs get, you know, sealed up again. You have to bring them sealed. Mm-hmm. They get sealed up again. They get put with the commission. And then the night of the fight, the commission brings the number ones to the locker room. And those are the, the gloves you wear for the fight. Mm-hmm. This fight, Dillian White and, and, and Rivas, apparently... The corner, this is the story, the corner picked the gloves. White was not at the rules meeting. That happens often. The fighter, it's after the weigh-in. The rules meeting happens. The fighter's off to get something to eat. They're, sure. they're looking to rehydrate. But his corner picked like an Italian glove and, you know, the other side inspected it. They're cool with it. Gets to the locker room. Billy White puts them on. I don't like these gloves. I want to wear other gloves. So they go to the commission and the commission's like, well, you got to wear gloves that are approved by us. I mean, we have these, you know, I think it was fly. I never heard of fly. But apparently he's like, yeah, I'll I'll wear the fly ones. They were sealed and he just puts them on. They tape them up. And then, you know, Russ Amber and and, and the Rebos people come over and like, whoa, 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 where's the gloves that we approved and and we checked out? Oh, no, no, no. He's not going to wear those. You know, we approved these. They're like, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. And I can tell you that in the contracts, the provision of services agreements, that's laid out. Yeah. So that's an agreement between the parties. You know, I mean, if if what they had between the parties was a normal provision of services agreement, that's a complete breach of that (laughs) agreement. Now, again, I haven't seen I haven't seen their contract, so who knows what was in it. But but you'd expect it to be something. Yeah, that's just common practice. That's form language in the contract. That that's how it goes. So, yeah, and and the fact that, you know, they weren't able to get him the commission to take the gloves off so that they could inspect them is is crazy. Crazy. I mean, that's happened to – I mean, I've had glove controversies. I mean, I remember – it's funny when, you know, I ended up co-managing Sam Solomon eventually, but I first met up with his people because my guy Giovanni Lorenzo went to Australia to fight him. We had the same exact issue. Rules meeting, you know, Sam picks out some gloves. We, you know, put our hands in them and, you know, feel them out. Yeah, these are fine. Night of the fight, he decides he wants to wear other gloves. He didn't want to wear the gloves that, that thing. And, and I was just like, no way. No way. Yeah. And, and you know, the Sam's promoter, David Stanley, was a gentleman and was just like, you know, fine. Fine. You know, you're right. Fine. Well, he'll wear the gloves that you guys checked out at, at, at the commission. That's fine. And we've had other glove controversies too. And again, it's you have to be able to check out the gloves. Because like when I was co-managing Sam Solomon, we went to Germany to fight for the title against Felix Sturm. And Champion picks the gloves in that case. Mm-hmm. He picked Grant, right? And I was just like, you know, I know there's going to be something screwy going on with this. So we literally brought a scale to the rules meeting. Mm-hmm. And they give us the Grant gloves that they wanted us to wear. And we looked at them, and they looked puffier than Sturm's gloves. We put them on a scale. They weighed heavier than, than what the gloves were supposed to weigh. That's funny. And we pointed this out to the commission and the IBF, who was, who, and, and they took the scale out, and they took the gloves out. They examined them. They weighed them, and they said, you're right. 
So we ended up wearing the number two pair of, of Sturm's gloves. Huh. And Sam beat the shit out of him with those. <laughs> <laughs> this is so dirty, though. I mean, it's just... Oh, well, that's, and that's it. It goes to Russ's point. I mean, that's why you inspect the gloves. Yeah. I mean, it seems silly. And, and Russ is like, listen, I, I honestly, he's like, I, I can't say there's probably any impropriety with the gloves. He's like, but I don't know. I'm not accusing them of impropriety with the gloves. But I don't know. And this is why you inspect. Well, I mean, look at, you know, Miguel Cotto Margarito. Right. Right. You know, that right. changes a career. Absolutely. Could, I mean, if it doesn't end a life, it can change your career. Yeah. And uh, I've seen it too. I mean, I've been in locker rooms where guys are taping up with stuff. They're putting, you know, putting like you know, maxi pads in there. Oh, you know? pa- Panama Lewis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, funny stuff will happen. You know, Crazy taping stuff. hands and, and, and gloves, Re- removing and, padding. Right, right. You know, right. what's in the? Give me the magic water bottle. You know, <laughs> exactly. like our sport is famous for it. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, it's again, you've got. You know, I, I get why now, you know, Ruiz, Andy Ruiz, who's going over there to fight Joshua, presumably, and may end yeah. up here in the States. But if he's going over there, that fight's not done. You know, Lomachenko's going over to England to fight Campbell. It's like, all right, if you guys haven't signed the contracts yet, you might want to take a look at the drug testing part. Sure. <laughs> like amend yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. And you definitely want to, you know, relook at the uh, the gloves part, you know, so that you've got that that square and you have the ability to uh to inspect no matter what. So. Wow. But yeah, that's uh that's kind of the good, the bad and uh and the ugly that went on the last couple of weeks. Um do you uh, you want to you know I, I I thought since we both saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood the new Tarantino film maybe we give it a little a it's little, a good one yeah a little uh, talk to you. so what what were your uh, what were your impressions of that film well the the funny not that this has anything to do with boxing but yeah just we both saw well it. we can I think we can tie it into boxing a little bit one of the things that's interesting about this film which I think is Tarantino's version of Inherent Vice what sort of Paul Thomas Anderson did there it's a, it has a similar mood in some respects but what really interested me and we're not going to reveal any of the plot not that there is any plot in this film (laughs) but the two central characters are kind of fringe players in hollywood one being an actor and the other being a stuntman and it it reminded me of every fighter i've ever met who's sort of out never been inside the top 10 and my beginnings in boxing was with a trainer who his claim to fame was I think I think in the late sixties he was a light the number one light heavyweight in the world according to Ring Magazine that was his claim to fame and I met him when he was closer to fifty um, but it was so interesting to me that he had been on the brink of winning a title at eighteen nineteen years old and never had anything happen for him again. Mm. And this very much was a movie of of both DiCaprio and Brad Pitt's characters sort of desperate to see some value in what they've invested their whole lives toward. And, you know, the fragile egos of sort of Hollywood people and an industry where where a career is just so effervescent. Am I saying the word proper? Effervescent? Not effervescent. (laughs) There's just such a, a fleeting quality to when you, if you achieve something great, you only get to really hold on to it for a very limited amount of time. Right. And then right. very quickly you're just a nobody. Right. Or a right, has-been. Right. You look like somebody sort of thing. And there's so many people in boxing. We, both you and I have been fortunate to meet a lot of the people who got on top of the hill 
in various ways. Tyson, Jones, Andre Ward. Um, But to meet the people that expected to get somewhere close to something special who never did, you know, and I, I think like my trainer, you know, I think that probably there were a lot of people in those gyms he was training in as a teenager who thought, boy, Ron Wilson, he's going to go somewhere. And then suddenly Ring Magazine validates it in the late 60s. Oh, my God. And then he never gets close ever again. Right, right. And so there's something about that that I felt particularly sympathetic to. Is I was thinking about interviewing Eric Kelly for one of the first articles I wrote, um, that he's in a gym where people are hearing, God, this guy's a multinational champion. Right, right. This guy was an Olympic alternate. This guy was an incredibly talented guy, but one pool brawl where somebody cracks a pool cue over his eye and it's over. Right, right. And he's still moving through the crowds at fights. You see him in New York all the time. And, you know, obviously got a lot of attention and shine for a video where he's training Wall Street people. Right. But I was very struck by how can he not live a kind of life fantasizing about what might have been? Right, 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 right. And there's a, you know, a lot of journeyman you told me one of the best lines i ever heard about boxing that you're rich or you need a second job or a third job or a fourth job right and that's the majority of people they're sort of characters the character actors the equivalent of right you know their opponents their journeymen um there's very few spots for people that are really making the real money and so this film highlights a secondary character sort of sort of like catcher in the rye was sort of the first book i ever read where a, a fringy character, a kind of somebody you might dismiss as a loser, or, you know, cynical trasher of a person, is given center stage. Right, right, right. And it's very interesting to see a secondary character given center stage because we're all secondary characters in everybody else's life. <laughs> right. right? We forget it. Right. But the same way that sort of Holden Caulfield is dismissing people with one little trait the comb over this guy or this woman has this trait or whatever. <laughs> That's what everybody's doing to us. Right, right, right. We're some yeah. little trait, you know, just as much as we do it to others. So it was interesting. I know the film is going to be a divisive one because there's not really a plot. There's a lot of <laughs> languid driving scenes and stuff like that. But there's a mood to some of these people that don't get the attention that they've really tried to and invested everything to get getting center stage for a film and being supportive of one another, being kind of vulnerable and fragile was an interesting place for Tarantino to go. And I think maybe because he was desperate to become an actor that he never became, uh, you know, he was not the actor that he is as a director or a writer. Uh, he knows about a lot of rejection and failure and people saying, you have no business trying to be this, right, that right. He, he can create those kind of characters very effectively. Yeah, no, that, that's 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 a great take on the film. It's 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 kind of uh, you know, uh, yeah. Again, it's it, it's hard to really talk about it for me without giving away some of the you know, bigger parts of the plot. I mean, on and on. See, the the thing that, that to me it was just it was a little long. It could have been a little tighter. It's long. Yeah, it, it, it's long. Um, you know, I, I still give it a, a thumbs up. You know. Um, but uh, you know there there were parts to it. I mean, I would say Bruce Stern certainly. I mean, I'm, I'm a big Bruce Stern fan, and he wow. has a little piece of it that's so funny. It's the Burbs awesome. is my favorite rewatch. Of <laughs> <laughs> he was here. Was it Nebraska? Loved years? him in Nebraska. Yeah, yeah. He you know he's he still brings it. He's he's still awesome, and uh, you know a lot of the 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 period stuff that uh, that you know is filmed there is is is, is funky as as you would expect with a Tarantino film. Um, 
you know, I, I guess I'll give a little bit away. Just, I mean, I, I don't think it's giving anything away. I think if you've seen any review, you know that there's, you know, it's it's based in 1969, and and you know, there's a part of it about the the Mansons in there. But um, it's funny. There's a there's the one brief part where Michelle Phillips is is mentioned. And uh, I just read an article with uh, Michelle Phillips, like an oral history of the L.A. music scene, hmm. like in the late 60s and, and early 70s. And, uh, you know, it was a lot. Of, it started out as a lot of peace and love and a lot of very talented musicians living within driving and walking distance of each other, just going to each other's place, hanging out, you know, playing, you sure. know, working on new songs, this and that. Um, she pretty much said all of that changed for her and all of that ended when uh, the Manson killings happened. <laughs> well, that's that Joan Didion line that, that the 60s ended when the Manson right, murders of Sharon Tate right. happened. She said she got really paranoid after that and started carrying a gun and that was wow. the end of the whole peace and love and let's go hang out kind of thing for her. So um, it's just such a so good, that, that's yeah. kind of the backdrop that the, that the film uh, takes place in. But uh yeah, it's interesting. I, I definitely think it's worth seeing. Um, but it's long. It's long. It's you know I don't think it's to to my mind it wasn't uh, you know the the amongst the best of Tarantino's films, but definitely not amongst the worst. It's worth seeing. So so anyway, yeah, that's that's the Boxing Esquire uh, movie <laughs> review. <laughs> but uh, anyway, Bryn, always great to talk to you, man, Likewise. and uh, I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Always fun. All right, man. Take care. And that will do it for another edition of the Boxing Esquire podcast presented by The Ring and RingTV.com and distributed by the Leave It in the Ring Network. I'd like to thank Bryn Jonathan Butler, my good friend, for taking the time out to speak with me. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment or a rating on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Audioboo, SoundCloud, or wherever you access the Boxing Esquire podcast. I really appreciate it as it helps new listeners find the podcast. And also, please do not forget to check out my companion piece to this podcast on ringtv.com that features quotes and background on my interview with Bryn. And until next time, so long, everybody.